0: But I want to start here. This morning, we kick off our Advent series, all right? And so the, the, the next three weeks, today through the next through Christmas Eve, the 24th, we are going to be walking through our Advent series, which is known as The Generous King. Now, this is our second Christmas together. Uh, we're going to, every week, we'll have a family or, or uh, a family unit that will light an Advent candle. We'll do the reading. We'll talk about that. But every week, it's going to be focused on something different. Today, we're looking at hope Next week, we'll look at peace and then joy, and then ultimately, we'll look at the gift of love that God gives us on Christmas Eve. We will see that. But over the next few weeks, I I want to just put this before us because I think that there is an invitation here from our generous king. And here's the invitation. I think it's an invitation for us as a body of believers, a family of families, to approach this Advent season maybe a little differently than we have in the past. Maybe this is your first time to even hear the word Advent. Or maybe you've always just celebrated uh, Christmas on the day of, and you've never really prepared your heart for what it means about the coming of Jesus Christ and his miraculous birth. Whatever it is, I I think the invitation is for us to view this season a little differently. In a season of of extreme busyness. Class parties, to uh, corporate parties, to all the year-end things. With all of the extreme busyness, where we can be easily distracted... I want you to hear this. What if we slow down? What if we slow down a bit in all of the things that we have going on and as we've prayed all year, if you've been around and this is your home, you know that we have prayed all year that we would humbly and joyfully, humble before Christ and joyful in Christ. So what if we, as we've prayed all year, were humbly and joyfully focused our worship back to the generous King this season? What if we just slow down? went against the grain, and all the hurriedness, all the busyness, and we just said, hey, we're going to reorient. We're going to refocus our hearts back on the generous king this season. What would it look like for you? What would it look like for you to reorient your life in a way that actually reflected his generosity? This week, we kick off by looking at Jesus, our generous king, and we're going to look at how he gives us hope. Now, I, I think many of us would agree with this, that we live in a culture that's driven by a pursuit of materialistic things. Would you agree with that? Like, you, you could turn on the news, raise your hand. If you agree with that, like, we live in a, a world that just pursues the next thing. Like, iPhone, the next iPhone 33, I think, is what they're on. I feel like they're on. I'm still rocking a 10. But whatever iPhone it is, like, we anticipate. There's, there's news stations that talk about the anticipation of this next new gadget, this next new thing we're always bombarded if if we just finished black friday all right i'm here to stand before you i did some black friday shopping online all right i'm not saying it's a sinful thing i get it because here's what i got bombarded with the lowest price of the year right how many of your, your inboxes were full with hey this is the lowest price it's ever been i've been looking at a solo stove i i i wanted a solo stove and you know what I didn't give in to the temptation because I know that was a lie. It wasn't the the lowest price of the year. I've seen it lower than that. My point is, is we're always bombarded with the next thing. The, The next thing that we need, these materialistic things, our phones. I don't even know how they do this, but I can look at an Instagram ad and get an email an hour later that says, are you still interested in this? And I'm like, how do you know that? How do you know that I was looking at those solo stoves and now it's in my inbox? It's crazy. Like, that's the world we live in constantly bombarding us about the next thing, selling us on what we need, or really, it used to be what we want. Like, don't you want this? Now they convinced us that it's what we need. I need this. Like I said, I'm just as guilty, but we consume a lot of things, especially here in the West. You can drive down Bankhead and and see storage unit after storage unit. Now, I'm not condemning you. If you have a storage unit, that's not what I'm here to do. I'm saying I think we have this thing where where we need to consume more stuff. We literally have storage buildings to, to put all of our stuff in. They keep popping up, and we keep filling up those units with stuff. I think we live in a culture where it's really easy to go from wanting something... Again, I'm not here to say that what you want is is a sinful desire. But I I think it's easy for us to get there. I think it's real easy for us to get there. I think deep down, it's not just that we want something. Kids, it's not just that you want that toy. If I have this, it's going to make me feel this way. I don't think, deep down, it's not just that we want something. That new thing, that promotion at your job... Many of us have have looked at this, uh, viewed a promotion where, uh, man, if we get this, it will solve all of these problems. If I just make this much more money, it will solve all of these problems. Or how many of us view people, if I could just win over that one person's approval, if I could just, if, if they would just say good and well done to me, if I could just win their affirmation of all the things I'm doing, if I could just win over their approval, then it will be all right. If I just had that boyfriend or that girlfriend, then maybe I'll just fit in. Again, kiddos, that new toy or that new gadget that you've circled in the magazine 13 times. We, we convince ourselves that if we had this, it would bring us happiness. But I, I think deep down there's more to it than that. I think there's times in our life where those wants turn into this is where it does get sinful, turns into actual desires. Desires where you covet what your neighbor has, where you lust, if you will, after the things that you think you need, that you feel you want are now needs in order for you to look good or to be better or to do whatever it is that you think will get you to the next thing in life. Fill in the blank. And when we don't get these things, you've been around Christmas long enough, you were a kid once, when you don't get that thing, hit home in the hearts with our adults, when you don't get that promotion, when you don't make that much more money, or when this doesn't happen, when your parents don't approve of what you're doing because you trust Jesus and they don't, when all of the things in your life that you think you want and need What happens when you don't get those? How do we respond? We're angry, right? You're frustrated. You feel mistreated. You feel unappreciated. But isn't it interesting? The irony about most of these worldly desires is that when we actually do get the things that we feel that we want or need, they never really fully satisfy us. Like you, you're left there thinking, "This is all I ever wanted, and this is it." Like this, you, you could look at so many. Uh, different documentaries of of sports. I've used the one about Johnny Manziel where he had everything he ever wanted. NFL, man, he was the the one and and not a believer stands before the camera and says, man, I, I thought I had everything I ever wanted and I felt the most empty I've ever been in my life. And he doesn't know Jesus. And he, pursuing the things of this world, says, I had it all and I've never felt more empty in my life. They never fully... Satisfy us. I think we look to the ways of the world to find our purpose, to fulfill those desires, to give us hope, to find our true meaning, to be the better me, to give us the peace that we actually want. But the ways of this world, family and friends, were never intended to fully satisfy us. So, family, I think the root of the problem is this more times than not, we end up putting our hope in creation not creator. We bank on the things of this world, trust and put our hope on the things in this world instead of banking on the one who is actually faithful. Hear me on this. Anything or anyone that takes your heart captive, that takes the place of the one who deserves all of our worship, is a sin. We'll read that again. Anything or anyone that actually takes your heart captive, those thoughts, those things that you think if you had, if it takes your heart captive, then that takes the place of the one who actually deserves all of our worship. If that happens, then that is sin. And if you've been around for a little bit, you've heard me use this this quote from Martin Luther. He says, behind every sin, there's an idol. Behind every idol... There is a disbelief in the gospel. I really think that there are a ton of Christians who walk around today and just say this. Something like, man, I sure have a sin problem. And I'm just really wrestling with this sin. This is kind of a bold statement, but I I think this is true. I don't think we have a sin problem. We have a worship problem. Like we worship creation instead of creator. Creator. Of course you have a sin problem. We know that. We've we've been born into a sinful, broken world. It's not that we just slap ourselves on the wrist and say, man, I just got this sin problem. I'm really struggling with this. No, it's that something other than the one who deserves all of our glory and honor and all of our praise and adoration, we give it away to other things that leave us unsatisfied. So the tension is this. We worship creation instead of creator. The disbelief in the gospel... You go back to that quote. The disbelief in the gospel is this. Jesus isn't enough for us. He's not enough. So the tension we live in is found in the question you have to ask yourself. Where does your hope come from? Where's your hope come from this morning? Creation or creator? Now for me, more times than not, when I actually slow down, And I evaluate my own heart. I ask this question where's my hope coming from? Like, if I feel dissatisfaction, if I feel off, if I feel just in a a bit of a a low slump, if I feel a little cloudy between me and the Lord, typically I have to evaluate. I have to do the work, if you will, and think where's my hope coming from? I'm a sheep before I'm a shepherd. Which means I have sinful things, sinful desires that I have to come before the Lord and I have to think, all right, is my hope in if I just made this much more money? Is my hope in if I could just do this for my family? Is my hope in if our church could just grow to this size? If I I can be honest and ask that question, where is my hope coming from? Then I, it takes work, but I can get here and realize and be reminded of God's faithfulness even when I'm not faithful. It's in those moments where I pause and I think, where is my hope coming from? Oh, yeah, of course I'm pursuing the things of this world. Look at how faithful God has been. I'm reminded of his faithfulness even when I'm not faithful. I'm reminded of just how generous my king has been to me, even when I'm selfish and stingy with the good gifts that he's provided. So if you're like me, and need a little help sometimes because you sometimes struggle to be humble, to be joyful in all of life's circumstances, then it's good to be reminded of what our generous King Jesus has done to us and for us. So I think that's the invitation for us this holiday season, this Christmas season, that we would be reminded of what our generous King has done to us and for us, Let's look at our text this morning. It says this, Hebrews 10, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have boldness to enter the sanctuary through the blood of Jesus, he has inaugurated for us a new and living way through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, in verse 21, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and a full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed in pure water. Verse 33. 23. Let us hold on to the confession of our hope without wavering, since he who promised is faithful. Now, I don't know where you find yourself this morning. Maybe a doubter, maybe skeptic this whole birth of Christ and born from a virgin and and his death and his life and his resurrection, his ministry, like all the things that you hear and are bombarded with. You might be skeptic, tired, might be a little weary in your faith, maybe even angry at God this morning. But I've been all of those throughout my life. I don't have it all figured out. I don't stand before you and say, I've arrived. I have all the answers. I'm never... Doubting, I'm never skeptic. I'm never questioning God's, like God, why did you? I, I'm always doing this. I'm always having to do the work for myself of, of working through these different feelings. Now I can tell you this: the one thing that has pr- proved time and time again to be true is that Jesus really is the best answer. Yeah. There's no greater story. Than the one where the hero, Jesus, actually dies for the villain, you and me. I know lots of people that have have, have wondered and, and tried different things, tried to find themselves and their true meaning of life and peace and different things. And you know where a lot of those folks that I have conversations with, they're they're still searching for something. Well, you know, I'm just trying to find myself. They're still searching for something, and the whole time God's like, I'm here. Creator says, I'm here. I'm the one breathing life into you right now. Jesus is the best answer. He's always faithful. He's the best answer because of what he's done to us and for us. Look at our text. It points us to this, Jesus. We can enter through the blood of Jesus. Jesus ushered in a new way of living. Jesus' flesh was torn for you and for me since he who promised is faithful. Now, I could camp out here for, for weeks, but I'm going to quickly connect the storyline of the Bible for us. It's one story, cover to cover, made up of a bunch of little stories, lots of names that are difficult to say, lots of kings and lists list of things, but it all points to Jesus. From creation, even through the fall, the king is faithful. And here is the storyline of the Bible. He is faithful, and you are not. Like, that's it. If you're like, man, I wonder what this whole book says. He's faithful. You are not. From beginning to the end, the generous king is faithful. From creation, even in the garden, through the fall, the king is faithful. Think about our series, if you've been around, in Judges. My goodness, every week, it's work for me to think about the light of the goodness of the gospel because of how wretched the Israelites, God's chosen people are. God is faithful in their response. Eh, we'll come back to you. Go worship the idols of the land. Over and over again, but he is faithful. We see it. Faithfulness to his people, even when they run back to the idol's Of the land. And since its advent, which represents this this coming, this arrival, we have a chance to reflect now on the arrival of King Jesus. The entire book faithfully points us to the miraculous arrival of our generous King Jesus. We were hopeless, living in despair, unfaithful, and yet God was faithful. He made a way through His son back to him. And that's what the author of Hebrews is saying over and over again. matter of fact, back in chapter 6 he talks about the covenant, the promise he made with Abraham. He says this, For when God made a promise to Abraham, another author of Hebrews, New Testament, is taking us back to the Old Testament. He's reminding his readers, For when God made a promise to Abraham, which means God initiates this covenant, since he had no greater To swear by, he swore by himself. Verse 14, I will indeed, I will indeed bless you, and I will greatly multiply you. No, I I might do this if you hold up your end of the bargain. This isn't a contract that God can just step out of. You didn't pay your rent, so therefore you no longer have a home. This is a covenant bonded together that only, hear me, only death can break. Only death can break a covenant. Verse 15. And so, after waiting patiently, Abraham obtained a promise. For people swear by something greater than themselves, and for them a confirming oath ends every dispute. Verse 17. Because God wanted. Do you hear that? He wanted you. You're not an accident, you're not a mistake. He wanted, because God wanted, again, this initiates desires, delighted to do this, like he he wants you to show, because God wanted to show his unchangeable purpose, even more clearly to the heirs, talking about you and me, generation to generation, purpose even more clearly to the heirs of the promise. He guaranteed it. With an oath, so that through two unchangeable things, a promise and an oath, remember that can only be broken by death, in which it is impossible, which means he cannot do what he's about to say, in which it is impossible for God to lie. If he's truth, that means there's no half-truth from the Lord, there's no lie from the Lord, it's impossible for God to lie, then we have fled for refuge, might have strong encouragement to seize the hope set before us. Verse 19, we have, we have, literally means to to hold on to. There's no more wondering, no more questioning, no more asking. We are holding on to this. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters this inner sanctuary behind the curtain. Jesus has entered there on our behalf as a forerunner because he has become a high priest forever. Y'all, God is generous. He initiates this covenant from beginning of time. And he fulfills the covenant through his son, Jesus. So if you go back to our text, the author of Hebrews, he's reminding us of this covenant fulfilled in and through Jesus. He says, gives us a new way of life in Jesus. Because of Jesus, his blood shed on your behalf, he's actually made a way for you. He's not stingy with his love or with his grace. He doesn't say, why don't you just clean yourself up, meet me back in the living room, and then we can talk. No, instead, he, he's ushered in. The author says he's ushered in a new, in a living way by actually laying his life down countercultural here like the way to life is is laying his life down and because of him we you and I we can actually enter into we can draw near to this covenant that the father initiates on our behalf because he is faithful the generous king is faithful and so lastly his generosity this is what happens. When, when we can get there, when we can begin to see that, the, that he truly is the generous king, then lastly what happens is his generosity, all of his goodness and his grace and mercy, it breathes hope into our lives. Generosity breathes hope. Again, he's not, he's not stingy with his faithful love. And so because of that, we actually now have hope author says, let us hold on to the confession of our hope without wavering. Chapter 6, if you go back, we have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. The idea of of hope in the New Testament and Old Testament, 146 times this idea of hope is mentioned in the Old Testament, 108 times in the New Testament. I love what J.I. Packer, he says this, the Bible from Genesis to Revelation is a book of hope. Biblical hope is this: a patient, disciplined, confident waiting, waiting for an and expectation of the Lord as our Savior. A patient, disciplined, confident waiting for an expectation of the Lord as our Savior. Hope isn't sit back and just let things happen. Just, just gonna let it be. Like there's, this is an active, active part of our faith, if you will is this hope. The hope he's breathing into your lungs this very minute is an active waiting. That Again, that's odd. I, I get that. But the hope that this world has to offer is things like this. I hope the Cowboys win it all this year, right? I don't know if they will. Nick's a big UT fan. He's, he's hoping that uh, right now, all of the people who come up with the, the playoff system, he's pushing for the, the Longhorns, right? Like, he's, he's hoping for that. That's not where he finds all of his hope. I know where he's at. Uh, but w- what else do we hope in? Like, we, you heard the, the kiddos, we hope that we get this, we hope that we get that. I hope I get an A on the test I've, I hardly studied for. I don't know how many times I prayed that in high school. Lord, help me get this A. And and finally, one person was like, well, did you study? And I was like, well, no, and why are you hoping in that? Of course you're not going to get an A. Like, those are the things that we convince ourselves. I hope I get this. I hope I get that. There's no guarantee in any of it. But the hope we have in the generous king has proven himself over and over again. The hope that God has to offer has a name, and his name is Jesus. He's made a way. He's provided a way for us. And because Jesus made this way for you and I, he always and also, he also generously gives us hope to share with everyone around us. Because he's provided this way, he now invites us to share this hope that we have with everyone around us. I love the text this morning because it reminds us that we have access to approach God's presence with full confidence. Not because of anything you've done but because of what Jesus has done to us and for us. You've probably heard me say this often, but God doesn't just save us from something. Like, that, that's how I grew up. I think that's probably why I, I had a lot of things I had to work through later on in life. But I grew up that God just saved me from something. Now, that's a beautiful truth to grasp, right? Like, he saved me from an eternity in hell. Praise God. Praise God. but he's also saved me to something. He didn't just save me from that. He now invites me and saves me into something. This beautiful adventure of following after him. And I think when we realize the both, both here, he saved me from this, but he's also saved me to this. I think it's when we realize both of those, we really see the gospel in all of its beauty. Like we see that there's this invitation to follow after the one who offers us life abundantly. So our our passage shows us that we have full access to approach God's presence with full confidence because of the sacrifice that Jesus made. He pursues us out of a heart of love and grace, and this pursuit, family and friends, demands a response. So all year, we've been talking, I mentioned this earlier, we've been talking about being humble before and joyful in. Like, this is our response. Like, when that... Joy and humility fills our hearts. The overflow of that will be a life of generosity. You can actually live a life of generous giving. When we recognize that Jesus truly is our generous king, then that spurs us on to follow the example he gives, to be generous people. So what does that look like practically? Just real quick, for us to be a family who breathes hope, how can we reflect generosity for our king? Number one, holiday season, busyness. We can be generous with our time. What does that look like for you, to be generous with your time? It's pressure, precious. Culture tells you to guard it, right? Like, I think that's a good, wise thing. Guard your time. Don't just give your time away. Biblically, invest it wisely. So what if this season, you were actually intentional and wise with how you spent your time? Be present. Be where your feet are. One of my favorite phrases from a, from a I mean, it was a, a GM from the Marlins said that in a funeral service one time. I remember reading the article about a pitcher passed away, and, and, and he reminded his guys that, man, the best thing you can do is to be where your feet are. Like, what does that look like for you? To be present with where you're at, to, to put, the phone, put the phone down, to take a deep breath, to take a step back from things, to wrestle on the floor with your kids or your grandkids Think of how you can be generous and actually connect with others. Maybe take the time that God has given you and invest it in helping other people, those in need. Our king's generosity compels us to extend our time for the benefit of others. Be generous with your time. Another thing we can do this Advent season is be generous with our gifts. You might have heard talents, like your, your gifts that the Lord gives you, your spiritual gifts. Each of you have been uniquely gifted Equipped to serve and bless others. Use those gifts. If you've got the gift of encouragement, man, encourage those that are struggling or wrestling in their faith this holiday season. This might be the first Christmas without a loved one. This might be uh, an anniversary of this particular year that they, they're wrestling with. They're thinking things. They're sad. They're grieving. If you have the gift of encouragement, use those gifts. Steward them wisely. If you have the gift of teaching, teach. If you have the gift of administration, walk in those gifts. Maybe the Lord gives you dreams and visions in your sleep. Ask the Holy Spirit for more of those. Encourage the body. Be generous with your gifts. The gifts that the generous king has entrusted you with in return just says, hey, just freely give those back. Use those gifts to stir the body, looking to bless and encourage those around you. So be generous with your time. Be generous with your gifts. And then be generous with your treasures. Our generous king has entrusted each of us with various resources and possessions. And when our heart aligns with his, we see those treasures are now opportunities to bless others rather than become stingy or selfish with the things that he's given us. We say it around here through cheerful giving, financial contributions, material resources, sacrificial acts of service, whatever it is, Be generous with the treasures that he's given you. Like we can reflect, we just celebrated a year in September. God has been so faithful, not just to grow our church numerically, but to we've baptized eight folks in in the first year. The Lord has saved people. He's saving our children as they hear the gospel. There are so many things that we can just look and think, gosh, The generous king really does love us. He really does care about us. He really does give us everything in him. And in return, our response is to give everything right back and say, this is yours anyways. Like, I want us to be a church known for our generosity. When I was raising money for church planting, uh, I was an intern for a guy uh, in Walnut Ridge Baptist Church in Mansfield, Texas. And he went on and planted a church out of there called Stonegate. Stonegate just celebrated 10 years last year, I believe. Um, I called him up. I said, hey, Rodney, man, we're getting ready to plant a church. And he stopped me, and he says, how much are you needing? And I said, well, don't you want to, like, hear everything? He says, no, I love you, brother. I'm for you. Alito needs more gospel-centered churches. I know the work that you're doing there. He said, what are you short? And at this time, we were trying to buy sound equipment. And I said, man, we we could use $10,000. And he says, all right, where do you want me to send the check? And I just remember... Thinking that, that was one of countless, countless churches that have come alongside us and said, yes, more of this, more gospel presence in your communities. Paradox, our grandparent church in downtown Fort Worth, for like 12 months straight, just said, hey, $1,500 a month, like invested in, some of you came from the Paradox. You know why? Some of you that came from the Paradox heard about Grace Church Alito. There's no stinginess with kingdom resources. There's no this is mine, this is ours. I never want us to be a church that says, well, you know, this is, I don't know, this is our people and this is is our resources. We need to build this huge, massive monstrosity of a church because this is our kingdom that we need to build. No, I want us to be a church that does this. This is all yours. God, this is yours. What do you want? We're planting a church in Brock and we got families that are driving. It's closer for them to go to Brock Go to Brock, let's support gospel uh, kingdom-centered ministries as much as we can. And so I get get excited about this. I don't don't preach, some of y'all are like, man, this is my first time here and he's talking about giving. I think this is the first time I ever mention it, outside of like a membership class. The Lord has been faithful. He's provided. But when I think about the vision of our church and when I think about where the Lord is leading us, like I... I need those people, you think about being generous with your gifts, if you have the gift of faith, man, rally around me, because there's lots of times where I'm like, I don't know. I don't know, God. I don't know if we can take this step. I don't know if I can do this. And along the way, he's provided resources, people using their gifts to say, hey, I think, I think, you're, I think this is what we should be doing. I think, have you thought about this? And so I, all I'm asking for us, because of how generous the king has been with us, is that we would take a step back and think, man, what, how can I be generous? With my time? How can I be generous with, with the treasures that God has given me? How can I be generous with giving resources, whatever that is? I want to be a church that's known, that says, Hey, this is God's kingdom. I want to be, I wanna be like that, that Rodney Hobbes, where, where a guy, a church planner, calls me and says, Man, hey, we're getting ready to plant a church, and I'm able to say, How much and where do I send it? I'd love to, I'd love to help you. You need people? You know, if you want to plant a church, I think that's a reality for us. We've had, again, people from different churches come and say, man, it makes more sense for us to be here. You're in our community. And that church said this, it's all God's people. And if you need them, take them. A prayer for us this season, as we celebrate the arrival of our generous King Jesus, is that through our time, our gifts, and our treasures we'd reflect his love and his generosity to all those around us. And we would actually point people to the ultimate provider, the generous king of hope. Let's pray this morning. Lord, thank you for, thank you for for loving us. Like, I don't don't say that lightly. Thank you that you loved us so much, that love moved you towards us. In a in a time where you could have turned your back because of our unfaithfulness, in a time where you could have um, started over, if you will, and said, "Man, these guys really messed this up. I'm going to start over." You you didn't. You pursued our hearts out of a heart of love. You are love. So thank you for that. Thank you that your generosity breathes hope into our lungs. If it wasn't made clear, Lord, I pray that people would hear that we put our hope in a lot of different things. Our desires turn into banking on the things of this world instead of banking on you and your faithful track record. All of your promises are yes and amen. You're the one who's never left us, never forsaken us. You've never turned your back on us, and so thank you help us as a people out of that heart of generosity as you breathe hope into us that we would be a people known and marked by the love of Christ our hope is in you and may all the people around us for years to come know that that it's because of you your good gifts, that you, the gift giver, actually says, you can have all of me. Take these good gifts, yes, but I'm actually, you can have me. So Lord, thank you for that. Give us wisdom to, to move on from here, to slow down, to take a pause, to consider what you might have for us. We love you and we praise you in Jesus' name, amen.